1: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a market market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to educate, but it's to teach and coach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer right now. Right now, behind the scenes, practically every money manager out there is wondering if it is time to swap out of the safety stocks. Sell, 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 sell. And into some of the more economically sensitive groups that have gotten too cheap to ignore. Buy, 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 buy. On a day where the Dow dipped 22 points, S&P inched up 0.14%. But the NASDAQ, where a lot of these tech stocks that I'm talking about advanced 0.68%. The plastic action obscured a stunning rotation out of defensive food and drug stocks and into the now red-hot semiconductor names. Now rotations can be hard to understand. Most of the time you can't figure out why the heck the market suddenly decided to turn on starlings and embrace its dogs. <laughs> if you want to get your head around this move, you need to understand how stocks bottom and how they peak. Because as I said the other day, this is a Bob Dylan market and the times, they are changing. The process started last night when three semiconductor companies reported Texas Instruments, Xilinx, and Lamb Research. Texas Instruments makes garden-variety chips that you see in everything from autos to homes to all kinds of devices, including ones that are plugged into the Internet of Things. The company actually reported a ho-hum quarter, frankly. They have a lot of industrial exposure, an area that suffered when Fed Chief Jay Powell decided to get all gung-ho about fighting inflation. Texas Instruments was the worst of the three, yet its stock still rocketed up 7%, despite some cautionary words. How about Xilinx? X-I-L-I-N-X. Their quarter, pulchritude, thing of beauty. Xilinx is exposed to nearly every hot, really every red-hot market, from defense to artificial intelligence to the data center, self-driving cars, machine learning, and the best of all, 5G, the next-generation wireless technology the carriers are building out right now. They need Xilinx chips to do it. Unlike Texas Instruments, this company was ebullient about its prospects. They made it clear that it's pretty much the first quarter for 5G. Some would say the build-out hasn't even started yet, yet Xilinx is by far the best way to play it. So the stock exploded higher. It was up 18% today. Hey, come on. That's just an unbelievable move. It's better than many takeovers. And then there is Kramer fave LAM Research, the semiconductor equipment maker, meaning uh, their machines help other companies manufacture chips like DRAMs and flash memory, both of which been in free fall in terms of pricing. No, 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 no. Oh, boy, has LAM been a tough one. Every time they report, the market seems to hate their numbers, The House of Pain, which is why the stock plunged from 234 at its highs last spring down to 139 last night. Wow. But this time was very different. This time Lamb crushed the estimates, gave you an outlook that suggested the worst may be over. As management bobbed and weaved on the conference call about whether or not this was the last bad quarter, they didn't point blank come out and say it. But I interpret it like that. I read it three times. That's the way I interpret it. Now, maybe you believe them. Maybe you don't. Hey, you know what? Maybe you say, "Wait a sec. This is some new CEO, Tim Archer, the man brought in to replace frequent Mad Money guest Martin Ansis, who was dismissed for personal issues that were mentioned on the call. Nothing financial, but personally, I don't mind. Archer comes from Novellus, a good coaching tree, as they would say in the NFL." Novellus, the fabulous company that Lamb acquired a few years ago, and this man is a totally hands-on guy. More importantly, Archer's actions—they speak a lot louder than his words. At the same time, he reported that fabulous number. Guess what? He announced a five-billion-dollar buyback. Five billion. Now listen to me. Lamb was only a twenty-one-billion-dollar company this morning. That's gargantuan. You might call it crazy. I say it's a sign the Lamb's business is about to find a bottom. Archer's taking a page from the old Novellus Handbook where the company always came in and bought its own stock hand over fist whenever management truly believed that the business is about to turn. Why buy back all of the stock now? Why not wait until you see the whites of their eyes, the actual bottom? Simple, because Archer knows the way the playbook works. He knows that the stock will almost always bottom before the company's profits do. If you wait until the turn, it's a sure thing. You know, just trying to say, hey, listen, I need more evidence. You'll miss most of the move. Wall Street knows it, too, which is why Lamb's wonderful stock surged 16% today. In short, the semi plays place had some incredible gains. But what's really amazing is that after, even after these runs, the stocks of Texas Instruments and Lamb they're still cheap. The former trades at 17.6 times, earnings 3% yield. Ladder sales were just 11 times, earnings 2.7% yield. Yep, you heard me. Even after these incredible moves, Lamb and Texas Instruments can still be bought. Xilinx is more expensive, but the other two are simply too cheap to ignore. Why else would Lamb try to buy back a quarter of its share count? Now, the pin action from these three spread to the rest of the semiconductor cohort, aided, of course, by the proliferation of sector-based ETFs. In this kind of rotation, the good rallies along with the bad, so you have a lot of stocks running, even though we don't know how they're doing, or whether they'll even give us a positive outlook or not. I mean, they had NVIDIA, a Micron, Applied materials. Doesn't matter. The whole semiconductor sector deserves to run if the industry is really about the bottom. But wait, wasn't Texas Instruments kind of downbeat because of its industrial chip? We just hold your horses. Their industrial business got hurt because the Fed got too aggressive in October. Now that Powell has taken a series of lockstep rate hikes off the table, hey, business is starting to do better. Texas Instruments should be able to bounce back. That'd be rational. All right, sure, the move could be challenged tomorrow because Intel, wow, Intel reported kind of a bummer number, and a pretty nasty estimate forecast. It's a bad cut, but I believe after pausing on that negative news, the semi-run can continue and even broaden out to other dirt-cheap industrial sectors. But let me give you the flip side of this rotation, okay? I'm trying to make you come alive. You know, a lot of times I get caught in my own thinking as a former hedge fund manager, like, oh, well, they rotated into soft goods. Now, that's not good enough. There isn't much new money coming into this market. So the money to buy the semis has to come from somewhere, and it's coming from what we call the slowdown stocks, the companies with earnings that should not be hurt by a slowing economy. So take McCormick, all right, the spice company that I like very much. This stock had been on a tear ever since they acquired Frank's Hot Sauce. You know, it's, it's really good stuff. You can tell by the label. Uh, and French's mustard in August of 2017, rallying from the 90s up to 156 in its highest in October. Over the past six weeks, though, McCormick's been slowly drifting lower. Today, that changed. The stock went into freefall, losing 10.5% of its value in a given day. Notice I I didn't drop this. Why? Well, because this is some, you know, I mean, really, that's the last thing you would drop, right? Ooh, jeez. Well, it was the Ravens. They didn't do so hot. McCormick missed Wall Street sales and earnings estimates. They gave it just a 1% revenue growth. They guided down substantially. Where the heck did that come from? Weren't we supposed to be safe in a food stock that keeps chugging along no matter what makes how much the economy rocks and rolls? Weren't condiments the ultimate in safety? I guess not. Worse, even to this decline, McCormick still sells for about 21 times earnings, making it much more expensive than the stocks of Lamb Research or Texas Instruments. With a lower dividend yield, McCormick's one big advantage consistency? turned out to be an illusion. We just hope it isn't one-off, like this bottle that I keep showing you. So now, let's put it all together. Let's make it so that you have some sense, you understand the way hedge fund managers work, so you can be able to build your own portfolio in the correct fashion. Today, a host of money managers recognize that they're paying too much for the safety stocks, the drugs and the foods, and they're paying too little for the building block tech stocks, not the really expensive ones. Oh, by the way, the rotation didn't spare any expensive stock. The cloud kings like VMware, Adobe, Salesforce, they all got hurt because they're high flyers. Apple went down too. hey, why not? It's a... It's Thursday. Doesn't that always go down now? None of the semiconductor companies that led us higher in the session had anything positive to say about the current generation of cell phones. Bottom line. Today, fund managers just said, what the heck do I need safety for when it is so darned overpriced? They realize they can just buy semiconductor stocks on the cheap and make their whole year in a day. That's what this rotation is all about. That's what happened today. And it's really a one-day phenomenon, by the way, which means it's not too late to buy the uh, newly-loved chip makers up, which could be down tomorrow off of Intel, to trim the now despised safety stocks, especially if you have huge profits and you don't want to see them drown without a life raft. We need to go to Eric in Missouri. Please, Eric. ba ba Big Daddy Kramer. How are you today, sir? I often think of myself as Big Daddy. I'm glad you included me in that cohort. What's up?
2: Obviously, I would, sir. There hey, I want to talk to you about Take-Two Interactive. Yeah, um, I've been looking at this one, you know, it's still meandering down at its December lows. While most other stocks have popped 5 to 10% from those December lows. This one's still kind of hanging down there, so I'm ready to pull the trigger on it, but wanted to better understand what might be keeping okay. that stock low. Okay, all right, low. now here's what
1: happens. This stock's been going down. This is strauss selling and you know I think the world is Strauss. What's the rap? The rap is, is somebody somewhere somewhere whispered to another person who told another person that Grand Theft Auto has had a slowdown. I do not know if that's the case. I do know that this is the best of the three. Best of Electronic Arts, okay? Activision, Blizzard, Take-Two, they're the best. But we did have uh, some Fortnite people won the other day. And remember, there's 80 million people playing this Fortnite. And it is starting, I think, to cut into all the other games. Let's go to Ernest in Florida. Ernest! Yes, yeah, Mr. Kramer. Yes. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? Uh, good. I wanted to find
2: out about Boeing. They've got earnings coming out on the 30th. I just
1: see what your thoughts were on it. Well, look, I think Boeing's going to have good cash flow. I think they're going to do a real good job. I think that if that's a day, though, that Wilbur Ross says, I can see for miles, 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 and I don't see a trade agreement, while at the same time wondering how people who are poor can't uh, became poor or don't have any money, uh, I found that whole thing disingenuous, frankly. But what I do care about is, is that if the trade talks go bad that day, Boeing's stock will go down no matter what they said. Okay. And I and I got to tell you, I wish I could uh, and we could all write checks to the people who work for the federal government who are not getting paid, because that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Let's go to Joseph in New Jersey. Please, Joseph. Hi, Jim. Yo, Love your show. Thank you. Uh, my
3: question is on Citigroup. I had it before I sold it in the high 70s and then I was going to buy it back around 50 and I didn't. And I'm wondering is it too late.
1: No, no. We did the same thing. For, I told the uh, people who belong to the com club. You should sell some lower, uh, higher, and then buy it back lower. Hey, man, this thing is selling for eight times earnings. I think Corbett's doing a good job. $153 billion company, but it's too cheap. I say... Buy, buy, buy. Oh. Was this the one that he did at Albert Hall? The Albert Hall concert was maybe one of the greatest concerts ever. But I, maybe I'm just showing you. I, I learned that from my father. I didn't know that myself. I wasn't even around. All right, so maybe I was. Anyway, times, they are changing. We're undergoing a rotation right now, and that's rarely a one-day thing. Now, Intel may have knocked it for uh, off Kilder. But I think people are going to circle back to Lamb Research, Xylings, and Texas Instruments. Old Man Money tonight. Last year, there were few narratives more frustrating than United Rentals shares' inability to move higher. But with the company up on earnings today, has the spell been broken? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to talk to the outgoing and the incoming CEO then. It's a stock that's up more than 20% over the past year, but I still think it's too cheap to ignore. I'll reveal the name, and it's going to shock you. And what uh, the company can do to make it so that it doesn't uh, lose its mojo. And last year, I named Okta, O-K-T-A, a cloud prince. That doesn't still hold the clown? The clown. The crown, stupid. I'm finding out whether the company could be worth buying right here. So I say stay with Kramer.
0: Some bonds inspire confidence, and some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing.
1: I got a treat for you tonight. You know what's changed the last few weeks? Take a look at the stock of United Rentals, the largest equipment rental company in America, with a stock that pulled up more than six percent today alone, in wake of an excellent quarter. The last time United Rentals reported back in October, the company delivered very good, but. Yeah, maybe not perfect, but very good quarter. And yet its stock got eviscerated. Why? Because Fed Chief Jay Powell had just vowed to squeeze the life out of the economy with a series of lockstep rate hikes that would have been real bad news for a sickle company like this one. But even though it's got a secular growth pattern buried within it, we're going to talk about that. Earlier this month, Powell backed away from that plan, and that was a game changer. And that's why when United Rentals reported last night delivering a solid earnings number on better-than-expected revenue up 20% year-over-year, year. terrific guidance. The stock caught fire. It's now up nearly $30 from the lows the day after. Christmas. It's like a takeover. Now, earlier this month, United Rentals announced that its longtime CEO and frequent guest on Mad Money, Mike Nealon, would step down in May and become the chairman, while the current chief operating officer, Matthew Flannery, replaces him. So let's dig deeper here with Mike and Matt. The once and future CEOs, of United Reynolds, learn more about the quarter and where the company's headed. Mr. Neal and Mr. Floney, welcome back to Man Money. Thank you, Jim. thank you. All right. Mike, I'm gonna give you a chance, because you didn't get enough chance in terms of the eyes of what I think are the buy side, to talk about what you created, what you built from when you got there to where it is now.
3: Well, we've completely transformed the company. You know, if you think about our our just our, our customer mix has very diverse in comparison from all construction to more construction and industrial. And now 23% of our business is now specialty related, which is very high volume and also high return assets.
1: Now, remember, you continue with the uh, acquisition strategy that has really created a national rental company where there was just a regional one.
2: So as you notice, we're a very acquisitive company. We think that's a core competency for us for integration. We've bought nine companies in the last 24 months, so it's fair to say we have quite a bit on our plate right now to absorb. But we like the bigger platform, and if we get the right tuck-in
1: that meets the criteria,
2: absolutely we're interested. But
1: you have to tell people that even though you've made those acquisitions, the balance sheet's as good as ever, and the cash flow is bountiful.
2: Yeah, by the end of 2019, even with all the acquisitions we've done, our leverage will be back down to the bottom of our range at 2.5%. That's
1: just a juggernaut. Now, Mike... Uh, sometimes I, I look at the company and I think, why don't people realize what it really is, is a secular change from wanting to own equipment, which is expensive and sloppy as insurance, there's big issues, to wanting to rent. And that even though you do have some cyclical up and down, the real story here is the rent economy.
3: Oh, absolutely. We've talked about this in the past, that, you know, the sharing economy, yes. where people are shifting away from ownership. And that's, that's ongoing. And we, we think that we still have more legs on that. To grow the company in the future.
1: And you've also become much more of a technologically digitized company. A lot of times tech guys come yeah. on and say, you, don't, you can't believe who's digitized these days. United Rental is digitized.
3: Oh, absolutely. We've, we've put a lot of investment. The board supported us. Uh, we, we're using Oculus for training. Uh, we're using digital with our, all of our employees. We're using you know, GPS to track assets to help our customers drive productivity.
1: All right, so let's talk about where things are, because there's a fantastic chart. You guys are, are the most open. Right, should I should ask you, you changed your revenue recognition. Some people are concerned, well, Jim, you got to ask these guys, are, they changing the, are you changing the way that you report? Is it as transparent as some like? Uh, no, so really what we changed was a fleet productivity metric. People were getting
2: myopically focused on the rate, the Right. time. Yes. There's a whole other component based on our strategy, which is mix. So all we've done was change and add fleet productivity, which still has rate, still has time, still very important, but adds that mixed component, so we see it as a more comprehensive
1: metric. Okay, that's good, because I, I felt that your business has changed enough that the metrics have changed, too. But I've got to ask you, you have re, real total U.S. construction spending climbing. That's good. But we've got a government shutdown. It's been more than 30 days. I mean, you, you've got people who are connected. I was, you know, we had someone who was on our show, unfortunately, the Commerce Secretary, talking about uh, people, why do they have to go to a food bank? Well, I'm in Summit, New Jersey. Believe me, we got a food bank, and it's unfortunately active because of this shutdown. This shutdown started to impact people's psyche. What happens here?
3: Well, it depends over time. How long does this go on? And we don't know. And to your point, it does eventually affect the sentiment of, 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 you know, the customers and employees uh, all across North America. But we haven't seen any discernible impact to this point. But we keep our eyes and ears open to the ground.
1: And you guys were adamant that even though there's a lot of turmoil, like in December, you said point blank. It has not translated to your business.
2: Sometimes it felt like we were yelling into the wind, but we absolutely have had this confidence we have 1,200 locations throughout the U.S. and Canada. People with ears to the ground, so we felt confident.
1: Now, uh, I know that you can't necessarily tell me who, uh, who you're going to acquire next, but is what would be the next? Uh, you've got the Great Mosaic now. Is there any area that you want to be bigger in, both regionally or or as an end market?
2: Matt, I would say anytime we have the opportunity to add to the offerings to our customers, right. so new products, new services is something we'd be most interested in. And that's part of our specialty growth. Uh, as far as organic growth, we're very focused on that as well. What's lost in our M&A and very acquisitive nature is in 2018, although we had 20% growth, 10% of that was pro forma growth. So on top of the acquired assets, which, right. which we're impressed with. I and mean, that's with. one
1: of the reasons why I love your stock. I mean, because like, I, I, it's so misunderstood, but it's getting, it seems to get getting moved now. A lot. Just a few seconds left. Mike, what are you going to do?
3: I'm going to be the chairman of the board. No,
1: I'm Oh, come I'm, on! I mean, gonna, you want to go gonna, fishing? You want to no, play cards? No, you want to go watch no, Netflix?
3: No, no, no! Absolutely not. I, you know, I'm still going to be active. I, you know, I don't know. Do you yet know that you're really, young, or is that just somebody I, else's you know, I'm perspective? 60,
1: I'm 65, young. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> Jim. <laughs> well, look, congratulations on everything you. you did for shareholders. You. you are a total trooper. Always Thank standing you. by. Always coming on good and bad. Back. Congratulations for you. Thank you. Sir. I wish you both the, just, the best of luck, and you deserve it. Because you're terrific guys. Okay, that's Mike Nealon and Matthew Flannery, this, the once and future CEOs of a stock that I like very much, that I still think is too misunderstood. It's United Rentals.
0: Bunny's back after the break.
1: No attention to the day to day gyrations of the major averages. Sell, sell, buy, 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 buy. If you're going to manage your own portfolio of individual stocks, and I still believe this is the best way to try to create great wealth, even as you should always keep some of your retirement money in an index fund, you don't need to make money every single day or every week or every month or every hour. No, your job is to identify high quality companies with fabulous long term prospects and stocks that are much cheaper than they deserve to be. So don't let the volatility shake you out of this market. Volatility just means you're getting a chance to buy great stocks at a discount. Let me give you one of the most classic examples that I don't talk about enough. Merck. Merck, the pharmaceutical titan that saw its shares get slammed today, down 3%. It's part of that border rotation out of the safety stocks sell, sell, sell. and into the big semiconductor and tech stocks. Bye bye buy! And I described at the top of the show. Now, Merck has been an amazing long-term performer. Over the past decade, the stocks nearly tripled. But just in the past 12 months, Merck's rallied 20%, even as the S&P 500 is down 7% of the same- Source of its strength, Wall Street has gone gaga for the company's blockbuster cancer immunotherapy drug. It's called Keytruda, which has been racking up incredible sales growth, especially as a treatment for lung cancer. Plus, if you're worried about a slowing global economy like so many are, or even a domestic slowdown if this government shutdown keeps dragging on, Merck is exactly the kind of company that investors circle the wagons around. Because it, it doesn't need a good economy. It's not worried about Chinese trade talks to make the numbers. However, even though Merck ran up dramatically last year, I think the stock remains way too cheap. And as the rotation plays out, it could get even cheaper, meaning you could get an even better buying opportunity. We're talking about a best-of-breed drug company here, yet it's not getting the kind of premium multiple I think it deserves. Now, don't get me wrong. Merck has a higher valuation than many pharma companies. It sells for just uh, 14 times next year's earnings, though. And that's roughly in line with J&J, also 14 times earnings. Yet, as much as I like J&J it's so I'm by my charitable trust, it's perhaps the most hated stock in the space at this moment because management gave us a pretty cautious full-year forecast. Now, I have to tell you, I didn't think it was as cautious when I dug into it But I know that was the street's rap, so I have to accept it, right? The verdict's in. More importantly, Merck is a heck of a lot cheaper than Eli Lilly, another one of my favorites, which trades at more than just, trades more than 17 times next year's numbers. 14 for Merck, 17 for Eli Lilly. So why does Lilly trade at such a huge price-to-earnings multiple premium to the rest of the group? And is there anything Merck can possibly do to close the gap? Okay, like Merck, Eli Lilly is a truly great company. Hey, listen, we had Lilly's CEO, Dave Ricks, on the show several weeks ago. Didn't you love him? He told a very compelling story. They've got a phenomenal diabetes franchise that's crushing the competition, not to mention a terrific management team that's willing to make opportunistic acquisitions like this recent Loxo Oncology purchase. But there's one thing in particular that I think sets Lilly apart. Last year, the company did something very savvy. They spun off their veterinary division as a separate business, Elanco Animal Health. And this move has unlocked a tremendous amount of value. Wall Street loved the idea. Did you know that since it announced that, Lilly's stock has rallied nearly 30%? That's right, since they announced the spin-off of Alonco last July. Meanwhile, Lilly's valuation has expanded from 14 times earnings, woo, Merck's current, to the uh, 17 times uh, earnings level it is to now. Now, there's more to it than the Alonco deal, of course, but that was definitely a major catalyst, made people really focus on Lilly. Now, I mention this because guess what? Well, Merck's also got an animal health business. When Lilly told us they were spending off Alonco, the stock surged, so maybe Merck should do the same thing. Hey, it worked for Lilly. It'll work for Merck. That's the way... Wall Street thinks. Frankly, it might even be better for Merck because I think their animal health business is actually more attractive than Alonco. Consider that when Louis jettisoned Alonco, the business was basically stagnant, hardly any sales growth from 2015 through 2017. Merck's animal health segment is larger, and it grew at a 10% clip the first three quarters of last year. That's even better than the mid-single-digit growth at the company's core pharmaceutical business. I want a piece of this! Now, you'd think that this high-quality animal health asset would help pull Merck's valuation higher, and I actually think Merck believes that. I don't think that's the case at all. Hey, they know drugs. I know stocks. The problem is that buried within the larger company, no one's going to pay attention to it. Most money managers hate complexity. They want nice, clean, simple stories because they would rather watch Netflix when they get home or maybe have a cocktail. I don't know what they do, but it's not not the kind of work that I like to do. So what do they do? They don't look at Merck. They focus on his drug biz. They ignore the veterinary biz. They don't give it any credit. And that's why a breakup would make so much sense if they spin off the animal health division as a separate company. I bet its stock we get a dramatically higher price earnings multiple. How much higher? Well, look at the other animal health place. Alonco trades at 23 times next year's earnings estimates. So when is, you know, we've had them on at 22 times. Hey, how about Kramer Fave IDEX Labs? Oh, man, I love that that's that said, uh, pets as you know, basically humans in your home. They traded 38 times next year's numbers. It's called the humanization of pets, though. If Merck splits off its animal biz, it gets a higher multiple than what it's getting as part of a larger drug company. Ideally, they could hold on to a larger ownership stake like Lilly's done with Alonco. If Merck does spin out their animal health division, I bet it would get a similar valuation to Lilly. And if Merck were valued like Lilly, get this, you got a $73 stock that would probably go to 90 if it follows the same trajectory, and I think it will. Of course, that's not the only reason I believe in Merck The company has a long history of buying back stock and paying bountiful dividends, supports the 3% yield, and there's a lot of exciting stuff in the pipeline. But the key to this story is Keytruda, the revolutionary cancer immunotherapy drug that Merck uses to treat non-small cell lung cancer melanoma, Uh, lung cancer also treats melanoma, Hodgkin's lymphoma, and by the way, it's being tested for a host of other cancers. In 2015, Keytruda was a $500 million drug. In 2017, it was a $3.8 billion drug. And Keytruda sales just keep growing as the FDA approves it for more and more types of cancer. Hey, just in the first three quarters of 2018, Keytruda sales doubled year over year to more than $5 billion. I believe these numbers will actually keep getting better because Keytruda is literally a lifesaver. The more we learn about this drug, the more we realize it's head and shoulders above the competition, like Opdivo from Bristol-Myers. The data is spoken in Keytrude is beating the stuffing out of Opdivo in the race to treat non-small cell lung cancer. Nothing else comes close to it in terms of efficacy. And hey, just today, Bristol-Myers reported, the actual numbers were pretty solid. You know I like the stock very much and I like the cell gene combination, but they did tell us that they're voluntarily withdrawing their FDA application for a combination of Opdivo and Yervoy, another cancer immunotherapy compound. This is yet another setback for uh, Merck chief rival. I was surprised that this didn't work out, frankly. And it's it's very good news for Merck, though. Although you wouldn't know it from the lousy action today, which was dragged down by that rotation I keep talking about. As I explained at the top, I don't think this will be a one-and-done move. Expect more selling in the drug stocks over the next few days. Thanks to Keytruda, Merck is once again a growth pharmaceutical company, and I'm betting it'll be years before their key drug faces any meaningful competition. Which means you can buy it into weakness here. Bottom line, Merck has done an incredible job of developing a blockbuster anti-cancer franchise here, but even after the stocks run last year, I don't think it gets enough respect. If Merck would just take its cue from Eli Lilly and spin off its animal health division, I bet the stock could get a much-needed boost. Even without this breakup, the stock is too cheap, and I think it has plenty of upside here. I just think there'd be even more upside if Merck splits off its animal biz. Be patient with your buying. You want to scale into the stock gradually, as I expect some analyst downgrades not of Merck, but of the safety stocks. And that will be your chance to buy the stock of this great American franchise at an even bigger discount. Let's take calls. Let's go to Stephen in North Carolina. Stephen!
3: Hi, Jim. Thank you for having me on the call today. Of course. Jim, I'm calling because I am heavily invested in Beckham Dickinson. I love the company. Seven days ago, EDX had a press release that stated that their earnings and future guidance will be very strong. And then two days ago, they issued another press release setting record-level increases to their quarterly dividend. I'm calling because the media hasn't said really one word about these two amazing press releases. I don't know why that is. Maybe you have a view on that. And the second
2: question is, what's your view of this company?
1: Okay, it's, it's you, great. Jim. Let me give you a look. Uh, this company is not far from where I live. It is, uh, Steve, I totally share with you. Uh, a love for this company. It is one of the least promotional companies I've ever seen. I've wanted them on for, I don't know, uh, 14 years. I-, I want them on very badly. I think they're terrific. Let me throw in Danahurst, another company that does similar things. They won't come on. Because they won't come on, I don't think they get, that's why they have a 20 multiple. They need to be able to tell their story. I would love to be able to tell it. In the meantime, hey, buy it, because it's just too cheap. Let's go to Mark in Alabama. Mark. Ba-ba-ba-booyah, Mr. Kramer, from Huntsville, Alabama. All right, what's going on, man? Okay, early December, I
2: picked up some HCA Healthcare. I believe you presented HCA. Uh, Oh, you know I love
1: HCA. Love HCA. Yeah, Yeah, so so I was a little
2: surprised that uh, later in December, when the market was getting destroyed, the HCA and a lot of the other healthcare stocks went down as well, and the reason I was surprised is because these stocks don't really have any exposure to China. So my question is this. When the Feds raise interest rates the way they did, does it affect the healthcare industry as a whole? Or do you think this was a special case where nobody was safe? The special market case, was just so negative. Special
1: case. Uh, do you know that every time if you put HCL on a discount of this magnitude, you've made money? I think that this is one with this ongoing rotation into the cheaper semis and out of the more expensive stocks. HCA is getting lost because you and I both know it is not expensive and should be bought. I like it. Both these stocks that we just mentioned, HCA and Beckham Dickinson, are part of the going to be caught up in the rotation out of the soft goods uh, that I've been talking about. Doesn't matter. That's the opportunity. Merck does not get enough respect. I think a spinoff could give the stock a boost. But even without one, the stock is just too darn cheap. Much more mad money at it. It's a stock that gained 149% in 2018 alone. But can Okta continue its climb in the new year? I've got the CEO. And I'm pointing out seven themes that can guide us through the recent market turmoil. And all your calls are rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. When you spot a powerful long-term theme, you don't back away from the companies that benefit from it just because their stocks are getting hammered. Often these pullbacks are incredible buying opportunities. Just look at Okta, that's O-K-T-A, the cloud-based enterprise software company that helps other businesses protect their networks from hackers. These guys handle everything related to your login and verification credentials, usernames, passwords, and your mother's maiden name, your birthday, your first job, the hospital you were born, yet your favorite pet, whatever. We labeled Okta one of our cloud princesses back in September because cybersecurity is a fantastic long-term theme, particularly when it affects people, uh, software as a service companies. But the stock got trampled during the market-wide sell-off, plunging from 75 bucks in September just to under 42 at its late November lows. Then Okta reported an amazing quarter as we figured in early December, and its stock was off the races. Now it's back to 79. Hey, set an all-time uh, high just today. Now it was the company's 10-year anniversary yesterday, and they just hit. 100 million registered users. So could the stock have more upside? Let's check in with Todd McKinney, He's the co-founder and chairman and CEO of Opta. Hear more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. McKinnon, welcome back to Mad Money.
4: Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be back on, on the show, Jim.
1: All right, first, Todd, congratulations. Uh, there are 100 million people that you are now registered. How many of those 100 million know that they're registered?
4: It, well, it, we're changing their world. I mean, we're making it incredibly easy for them to connect to all their technology, whether they're logging into their business applications at work or they're a customer of one of our customers logging into a website, making their customer experience more uh, enjoyable and more secure. Um, they, they're they they're big fans of Okta.
1: Well, because one of the reasons I think of is that I know that I I am on Okta because I studied Okta because of you. But I think a lot of people just think, well, wait a second, who the heck are these guys? I've never, I mean, last time, by the way, I was out with Zora. Same thing. It's like, who are these guys, Jim? And I say, you are probably one of their users and you just don't know it, right? I mean, it is difficult to get the word out.
4: Yeah, I mean, we help our customers um, both directly in terms of, like, their end users can see what we do in some cases. But in many cases as you mentioned we're behind the scenes we're the plumbing we're the infrastructure that's making their technology secure and making the end user experience super enjoyable we're happy to place uh, to play both roles because at the end of the day it's about making customers successful with the technology any technology they want to use and that whatever they choose to use will fit in with it and how they want us to fit in and will make their lives productive
1: well you are the fastest growing company that comes on our show in terms of billings you had accelerated uh, revenue, billing growth from 53% to 58%. What happened? Did you just hit some critical mass where people realized that all that really matters is the enterprise knowing who and what you are and not just using some sort of
4: firewall uh, or network perimeter? Yeah, well, you mentioned it before. We've uh, This is our 10-year anniversary, and we're incredibly excited about 10 years. And, and during those 10 years, we've benefited from several trends that are really lifting us uh, to these new heights the main one is cloud cloud computing and um, cloud has progressed uh, tremendously over the last 10 years but the most exciting thing is it's really just getting started if you look at the overall i.t spending market it's over a trillion dollars of i.t spend but cloud everyone talks about the cloud they think the cloud has come of age but it's still only 20 percent of that it's about 200 billion dollars so we're still in early days of cloud adoption and so we're very excited about the runway ahead and the and the um, value we can provide in that context of really cloud taking over the world.
1: All right now, one of our favorite companies is Adobe. Uh, Shantanu mm-hmm. Narayan comes on all the time and they are a big Okta customer. So a lot of people use, you know, look, my daughter's on an Adobe product every day, and I I, I, told yeah. her, well, I can't tell her that I have Okta, and I said, but how often do you use Adobe? It's just all our friends still use, use Adobe, everybody. So tell people what, they, what a, the interface of Okta and Adobe is.
4: Yeah, we helped Adobe in a couple really important ways, and they've been a long time customer of ours. The first way is that we help their business customers connect into the Creative Cloud. And the second way we help them is we help their 20,000 employees connect into all the applications they need to do their job at Adobe. And Adobe is an interesting story, not just because it's an Okta customer, but they've done something very amazing. They've transitioned their business from a package software business to a cloud business and you've seen the results in their business and in their strategic position in the market and we were lucky enough to play a helping role as we help that login securely to that new creative cloud product they've had in the market for the last four or five years.
1: Now it's entirely possible that I'm using Adobe or another product and I have multiple logins, uh, multiple passwords. What do you do for someone like me and how do you protect the enterprise that has
4: that situation? We, we help enterprises get rid of those passwords. So our customers that use Okta for their employees, they have one single uh, login credential that takes them into all their applications. So it greatly simplifies the end user experience and as a result makes it way more secure and way more productive. Because at the end of the day, it's about how productive you can make your people and how great you can make the experience and how attractive you are as an employer and the kind of people you can attract. Todd, is there anybody who even competes with you when it comes to software as a service side? There's uh, there's uh, companies that have similar solutions, but we are really at Octa trying to be focused. We're trying to be focused on what our customers need, and not to get too caught up in um, a platform player that's trying to do what we're doing, or um, a niche upstart that's trying to copy some of our features. We're really focused on what do the customers need? Do they need help? Connecting to their customers? Do they need help with certain kind of security architectures that are emerging as they move to more of a cloud-central model? From the beginning of the company over the last 10 years, we've been incredibly customer-centric, listening to what customers needed and and, and having that kind of be our North Star. And it's worked incredibly well. Well, Todd, that does sound a little bit like uh, our friend Mark Benioff. How long did you work for Mark? I worked, yeah, no, I worked at Salesforce. It's not a coincidence. Uh, (laughs) I worked at Salesforce for six years. Um, I basically learned the ropes of cloud computing from Mark and the entire team at Salesforce. Um, and uh, so it's not it's not a shock that there's a lot of similarities there. Well, look, I want to congratulate you. A hundred million uh, users in
1: 10 years is incredible. The revenue growth is great. Uh, the, the fact that your free cash flow positive is terrific, too. I want to thank Todd McKinnon, Chairman and CEO of Okta. Great to see you, sir. Dan my back after for the break. It is time! It's over to the Lightroom. And then the light is over. Are you ready, Ski? Now the Lightroom comes Let's start with Dennis in Georgia. Dennis!
3: Hi, Jim. Booyah. Booyah! Booyah,
1: Dennis! How you doing? I couldn't be doing better. How about you?
3: Thank, great. I'm doing great. Thanks for everything you do for oh, us individual thank investors. Thank you. I wanted to ask you what you thought about... Uh, Charles Schwab, it's you know, current.
1: Yeah, you know, we're getting a little weakness in that group. I did a piece last night. A lot of people were buzzing about it, about how that uh, flash crash that we had in uh, December, right before Christmas, is turning uh, a lot of retail investors off. I got to be a little more cautious about retail because the market is making me more cautious about what it's doing to people who invest. Without an investigation, of course, right? No investigation of anything. Let's go to Ken in Florida. Ken. Professor Kramer. I'm yes. the
2: number one doors fan requesting your perspicacious opinion on American Finance Trust and a 12-month outlook, and can they keep paying the dividend?
1: Yeah, I think they can, but it's a little opaque. I really think you should look at EPR. I mean, EPR has a similar mosaic of those guys, and yet I think it's safe, and I really like them, and they come on air. Let's go to Mauricio in California. Mauricio. Hey, Jim. Big fan. I was wondering if I should hold or sell... CVR refining, picker CVRR. There's something going on. I mean, that yield is just way too high. I I think you could be in that. I think you could be in the, be in the, the house of pain. still in that situation. If you want a refiner, we like Valero, and we like uh, Marathon Pete. Let's go to Alex in California, please, Alex. Hey, what's up, Big Jim from California? There you go. What's going on? Nothing much. I was just had a quick question on k We had a 10% pop on light volume. But we have earnings coming up this, uh, later this month, and I was wondering what your thoughts were. we got to look through this. Now, this stock was up as a corollary to Xilinx. It really doesn't have that much to do with it, but the ETFs drove it up. Uh, I think it's inexpensive. It, it, look, it's, it's a capacitor company. It's an inexpensive stock. I don't, I don't think you're going to get hurt. It, it's better, for instance, than Western Digital, which reported an okay number today. is actually rallying because people felt that they were going to say bad things, and they didn't. Let's go to Kevin in Minnesota. Kevin. Booyah, Jimmy. Booyah. Hey, man, first time, long time, with the ticker symbol of MBUU, Malibu Bolt. Man, come on, man. We're best of breed, guys. We're Brunswick, guys. We're BC. We are never going to waver there. Not just because I have a 17-foot Boston whaler, and that's about as big as you need, by the way, you big shots. Wilbur Ross, I think he's probably got a 170-foot one, but the people, you know, there's a lot of people who are going to that food bag. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
0: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: Now that earnings season is in full swing, we need to be on the lookout for themes that are working. In spite of the litany of big picture negatives, the turbo in Washington with the shutdown, slowing global economy, and the damage that's already been done by Fed Chief Jerome Powell's ill-advised statements during the fourth quarter. So what can still win in this less than ideal environment? Well, I'm going to give you some themes. winning well, theme number one is aerospace. If your company is involved with aerospace, there's a good chance that you report a monster upside surprise. When you see Pratt & Whitney, a big part of United Technologies, report 20% plus organic growth, you know the aerospace industry has accelerated dramatically. Now, there are still some worries about China. I get that. But the demand flow is so strong that China may not even matter that much. I think this bodes well for GE, controversial stock, and for Honeywell, excellent stock, two more aerospace suppliers, not to mention Boeing. I like United Technologies the most because of the Disruptive new aircraft engine, but the whole group is too low. And that even includes GE, although the story there is a lot more messy thanks to the problems from long care, term care insurance and the ailing power division. But Honeywell? Honeywell's just a buy. My Chapel Trust owns it. We can tell people, members of the ActionOneursPlus.com club, come on, just go buy some Honeywell. Winning theme number two is 5G. 5G wireless, it's starting to make an impact. There's a, report, there's a reason why Xilinx supported the best quarter of any semiconductor company so far. They have the most to gain from the early adoption of 5G, and they already have substantial orders. Xilinx feels like the, the, uh, the new NVIDIA. It even has artificial intelligence, machine learning, and autonomous driving chips. But it also makes the best chips for next-generation wireless networks, so the telco companies are desperate for this stuff, especially, believe it or not, the Chinese. Yep, China needs Xilinx a lot more than Xilinx needs China. Like I told you earlier, the company ignited a rally in the 7th quarter, quarter aided by uh, Lam Search. And I think the run is for real, even though Intel gave us some downbeat guidance here for the close. Third theme. Big farmers making some huge bets on anti-cancer drugs still. Yeah, you've got Bristol-Myers acquiring Celgene for its blood cancer franchise. I still think Bristol's a buy. GlaxoSmithKline snapping up to Tissero for ovarian cancer. And Eli Lilly just buying Loxo Oncology. Put it all together, and I think there are a ton of biotechs that might be worth speculating on here. Anything with a credible cancer immunotherapy pipeline could be in play. Fourth, the continued rise of digitization. You've heard that many times on the show. is relentless. And I think we're still in the early innings here, judging by how many big companies, uh, the wins that we're seeing in all sorts of industries. I mean, that's the message we got from IBM, for instance, which is doing some very powerful work in healthcare. When you think digitization, I urge you to think of companies like VMware, which is down off this rotation, and Cisco, which is cheap enough that it wasn't part of the sell off. 15, not a new one. But anything related to housing or autos should be avoided. Let's just say you should avoid those stocks like the plague. These are no growth industries globally, and there's nothing good happening here unless we have a great spring selling season, which right now I'm not so sure about. I think the estimates need to come down for pretty much any company in either cohort. From 3M, which normally should be going up because it has some semi-exposure, to Toll Brothers, to Masco, and to, to Lowe's. Six, when it comes to retail, get this. There's only a couple. Write them down. It's Walmart, it's Costco, it's Dollar Tree, it's Dollar General, Five Below, Ollie's, Burlington, Raw Stores, TJX, and any other store that David Faber would never be caught dead in. Everyone else... Last but not least, there's been a resurgence in Procter & Gamble, even as the stock got dinged by today's rotation. But this strength defies the border consumer packaged goods industry, and it's led by spending in China. So don't write off every American company that's doing a ton of business in the People's Republic. Think Nike or Starbucks, which frankly just reported a pretty robust corner. Uh, Interviewing Kevin Johnson tomorrow on Squawk on the Street, by the way. Uh, Kevin's the CEO of Starbucks. Regardless of what happens with the trade talks or the government shutdown, these seven themes can guide you through this tumultuous environment. Remember them the next time everything goes crazy. And given the circumstances, you won't have all that long to wait. Stick with Craig. Okay, you know I've been backing Kevin Johnson, CEO of Starbucks. Since about 52, 53, and now the stock's at 64, 65. I like the look of this quarter, but we're going to speak to him tomorrow morning uh, on Squawk of the Street. I wouldn't make a move until you hear the interview. The interview's been market-moving. Now, Intel is disappointing. What can I tell you? It is hard to be able to have that as part of the ETF that goes up when they give you that kind of downbeat forecast. They are certainly different from Xilinx. i like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'd find it just for you right here on Money. I'm Jim Crane, and I'll see you tomorrow.
0: Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in.